Turn with, you, with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 12 and Isaiah chapter 9. You can just put a mark in Isaiah 9. We're going to read uh, Luke 12 first. Very important message. I uh, told you that I wanted to speak to you today uh, that has just been burning in my heart. Uh, and I'll tell you more about it after we read the scripture. Uh, but I believe it's going to challenge you and open your eyes. Uh, I want to encourage you to research what I've said uh, don't just take it as gospel truth, but research it. I, I, believe, uh, I believe in what's happening, but I want you to go home and study it on your own uh, because it is that important. It is that important. It is that important. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. If you're there, say amen. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. This is Jesus talking now. Listen to what he says. Very important principle in the word of God. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Flip over now to Isaiah chapter 9, picking up in verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Jacob. Notice he said against Jacob. And it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. The context of Isaiah chapter 9, it's the year 732 B.C. The kingdom of Israel, Israel has been divided into two. There is the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying right here against Israel. He, he is prophesying destruction. This, this is not a, hey, your life's going to be wonderful. You need to uh, you know, just, just be blessed and you know, money's going to come into your hands. That's not what this is, but this is a, a, uh, a prophecy of destruction and, and, and despair. This is a serious thing. It's odd because he begins Isaiah chapter 9 uh, with, a, with a prophecy about Jesus. Look right there in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. We'll call him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. The Prince of, they're, they're talking about Jesus, the hope, but then he shifts and he says, but we have a problem and if you don't fix it, destruction is coming your way. At first glance, if you were to just read verse 10 out of its context, you would think that it was a prophetic word. It was a vow of hope and, and, and promise and, and uh, blessings and, and words of comfort. But that's not actually what it was. You see, Israel had a covenant with God. And this covenant... Uh, caused them to be the most blessed people on the earth at that time. They were totally blessed on every side. Though they weren't a large nation and their enemies surrounded them, they were blessed and they were kept under the protection of the Almighty. They had wealth, they had land, but it all hinged upon their covenant with God, their commitment to follow Him. And if they didn't, it could all be washed away. Because to whom much is given, much is required. But in 732, 
They have turned away from God. They have built idols and high places. Uh, They are worshiping the gods of Baal and the god of Molech. Uh, They are killing the innocent. Thousands of children are literally being sacrificed to Molech, a stone god with his hands out like this, and they would lay innocent babies on top and literally sacrifice them to this god. This nation of Israel, who was founded by God himself, who was called out and given so much blessing, and God had come through through for them time and time again, now they are sacrificing their babies to a stone god. They're following their own self-interest, their own sensuality, and their own passions. Uh, Immorality is the norm as they have rejected their covenant with God. The prophets are trying to warn them. Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They're trying to warn them, but they are just not listening. They are rejecting the call to be faithful. And in fact, those who did heed the call, those who did try to return to God, uh, they were ostracized, they were pushed out, they were vilified. Uh, uh, they were persecuted and the curse uh, and the covenant had been broken. God had to get their attention because what God knew was that if he couldn't get their attention and cause them to return to the covenant, the, the good part of the covenant said, I'll bless you. But the other side of the covenant was, if you don't do these things, curses will come upon you and judgment has to come upon you. And so what God knew was that God said, my heart is not to judge, but, but my heart is to love and, and bring reconciliation. But if you refuse to live up to the covenant, then I'm forced to judge. Because to whom much is given, much is required. He had to get their attention. He had to. The, he, was, he was begging of them, please turn back to me. So God sent them harbingers, warnings of impending judgment in hopes that they would return. Because that's all he wanted. Return to me. I've been reading and, and studying and one of the main sources that I've been studying from, from, among others, is this book called The Harbinger. And it's uh, what I want to talk to you about today uh, uh, comes uh, primarily from this book. I recommend that you get it and that you uh, read it. It's a fascinating book. I can by no means cover it all. Uh, in truth, some of it I'm still trying to soak in because it's just uh, so much. Uh, the, the quote on the front says, mind-blowing, and I assure you, it is mind-blowing. And I want to present this information to you because the author of this book connects the, the, the harbingers of Isaiah chapter 9 with events that took place right here in America on 9-11 and is asking the question, is God speaking to America? And I want to ask you that today. Is God speaking to America? I want to present to you the information and you decide what you think about it. Uh, but for me, uh, uh, and even though there are things in this book that I'm not sure I can go that far, there's so many facts and truths in it that for me, it has driven me to my knees in prayer for our nation. And I believe it'll do the same for you. I want to talk to you about eight harbingers. He presents nine for the sake of time. I'm only going to go through eight uh, because the last two are almost identical. So we're going to combine those two into one. Uh, but the, the harbingers is God. Speaking to America. I want to welcome those who are watching online all over this nation and throughout the world. 
I want to ask you to get still and quiet and get ready to receive from God. Man, we've been experiencing his presence here today, and I hope that you have there at home as well. But this is a very important message today. I want to speak to your heart and to your spirit. I want you to listen intensely, uh, and I want you to get ready to receive uh, and see what God would say to you uh, for your life and and how to pray for this nation. Uh, The first harbinger is the breach. In 732 B.C., Israel's enemies invade the land and they wreak havoc. There had been this hedge, as I told you about, this hedge uh, guarding them and and protecting the nation of Israel. Uh, You can understand more about hedges if you go to Job uh, and how Job had a hedge of protection around him. and, And the enemy said, I can't get to Job because of your hedge. It's a protection keeping out the attack of the enemy. Israel had a similar hedge. They had a protection around them. Uh, And though they fought battles, the enemy couldn't come in and destroy the way uh, that he had wanted to. And yet, suddenly there is a breach in the hedge. The enemy comes in in 732 B.C. and he strikes. And he destroys an entire uh, piece of ground. and, And he literally crumbles it to the ground and destroys it and burns it. Not only the buildings and the homes and the businesses and the walls, but he literally destroys the land. And he tears it down and he breaks it down. This is, this is eye-opening for the people of Israel because this hadn't really happened like this before. Now you need to understand that evil men were behind the attack. But it only happened because God allowed a breach in the wall. Evil men came in and traumatized them as they retreated. So the first harbinger is the breach. It's the simple fact that they were able to get in and attack and then left. There are two realms of this attack. The first is the private realm of the, of the individuals. The private realm of individuals. And on this realm, there is sorrow. There are people who lost their loved ones, who lost their homes, who lost their businesses, and there is much sorrow. And for them, the charge to the nation was uh, to comfort, to support, and never forget the wounded and the bereaved, those who had lost. But then there's the public realm of of this attack, of this breach. And, And the question for that, is this a matter of judgment? Is it a matter of judgment? And this is the question that Israel had to ask as a nation. This is the thing that Isaiah is speaking of. Is this a matter of judgment? And their charge then is to return to God. When we see, when we look at 9-11, when the plane struck the towers, there was a breach in our hedge. We had a false sense of security, but a breach allowed evil men to bring devastation upon America. What a terrible, terrible day that it was. Uh, most every person, and you may remember, raise your hand if you remember where you were when you first heard about 9-11. That's almost 100% of us. I'll tell you that I was at Bible school uh, in, uh, in a building that is now our youth building in Mid-County, and I remember standing there uh, huddled around with all the students huddled around a 13-inch TV as we watched this devastating video, some of it happening live and some of it as they replayed it over and over. Do you remember the shock and the confusion, much of, of which came because Americans had understood, whether, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, that we have a hedge, and yet here we are. What a day it was. 
But how do we know for sure that it was a breach? I believe that the next seven harbingers qualify the first. The second harbinger is this. The second harbinger is the terrorist. It's the actual people who attacked. You see, for Israel, it was the Assyrians who came in and attacked Israel. And what you may not know about the ancient Assyrians is that they are literally the fathers of terrorism. They used fear and terror as an act of warfare, an act of controlling their enemies. Uh, they, they created new technologies of warfare, the movable tower, the battering ram. Uh, they were terribly brutal. They, they would uh, inspire fear and dread in all of the surrounding peoples. They were not just militaristic, but they used terror as a tactic. They made it into a science. They systemized it. Uh, they employed it, and they perfected it. They burned cities to the ground. They mutilated prisoners. And if you rebelled against them, they would literally skin you alive and hang your skin up on a wall as a, as a sign to the rest of the public. Don't do that. The second harbinger is who invaded not just that we were that they were invaded, but it's who invaded. It was the terrorists. The breach was an act of terrorism. Th- these men were the epitome of evil, and God would judge them. As a, fa- as a matter of fact, in the next chapter of Isaiah, of chapter 10, verse 7, he said, It is in their heart to destroy. I believe that is the heart of every terrorist. It, it is in his heart to destroy. The Assyrians are the spiritual fathers of terrorism. And thus they are the spiritual fathers of Al-Qaeda. So again, we see the second harbinger at 9-11. But it's not just that they're the spiritual fathers of the Al-Qaeda. It's more than that. You see, uh, the Assyrians ruled the Middle East. They were a Semitic people. They spoke Akkadian, which is actually a dead language now. The Al-Qaeda are also from the Middle East. Uh, They're a Semitic people, and they speak Arabic, uh, which is the closest language we have To Akkadian. Akkadian is dead, but Arabic is the closest language. It's been called a sister language uh, to Akkadian. As a matter of fact, many of the speech patterns, as I understand it, uh, come from the Akkadian language. When you look at this map right here, you'll see the area in green is uh, the area that the Assyrians ruled at, at, at any given time of their empire. You will find in those nations, um, you will find uh, our modern day nations of Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, Afghanistan, places where many of the world's uh, terrorists come from. Not everyone in those nations are terrorists, hear me. But as you know, Al-Qaeda was founded right in this region. So they're, they're, the, they're the father of... Of terrorism. The second sign is who attacked. Who attacked. The third sign is the most visible attack. You go back to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 10. uh, And it said the bricks have fallen down. So the third harbinger is the fallen bricks. The fallen bricks. The bricks have fallen down. This is the most visible and tangible sign for Israel. Uh, The Assyrians came in and they leveled the place. And imagine, if you will, once the attack is over and the people came from their hiding places, from the mountains surrounding, wherever they may have been, and they came and they overlooked what had been their homes and their city, and all they saw was a pile of bricks and a pile of stones uh, and and a pile of rubble. 
The bricks were, were uh, man-made uh, things that were pressed together and hardened. That's what their bricks were, and they had fallen down. This was a visible sign uh, of, of a harbinger of what God was doing. You'll remember at 9-11, you've seen pictures just like this of when the bricks fell. You've seen pictures like this and many others of the fallen bricks. What is concrete? Concrete is uh, materials that are pressed together and, and hardened. And that's what, not, that's what uh, the, the World Trade Center was, uh, the, the towers were built out of. And so when we look at pictures like this and we see the, the pile of concrete and bricks, this is the third harbinger to America. Turn to the person next to you and say, breathe for a minute. You can hear a pin drop in here if I wasn't talking so loud. That brings us to the fourth harbinger. The fourth harbinger is the tower. Notice he said, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. We will rebuild. So they endeavored to build the buildings and the walls. One of the scrolls even says, we will rebuild the towers. Here we begin to really see part of the issues. Commentaries tell us that it's not just that they wanted to rebuild, but their heart and their plan and their actions were to rebuild bigger and stronger and more powerful than before. So it wasn't just, hey, we want to rebuild, but we're going to rebuild better, bigger, stronger. It's not the rebuilding, it's the defiance behind this. We're not going to look to God, but we're going to look to ourselves and we're going to do it better. We're going to come up with a stronger and better way to do it. Notice they, they rebuilt with hewn stones. We'll come to that in a moment. They built with better materials. Back to 9-11. Mayor Giuliani declared, we will rebuild bigger and stronger. President Bush declared in the days following, we will rebuild bigger and stronger. That is what we will do. The governor of New York, the state senator of New York, and many others declared the same thing. These words... We will rebuild bigger and stronger. So what do we do? We, we're, we're in the plans to rebuild bigger and stronger. This is called the Freedom Tower. It's what's currently being built in New York City right now on the site uh, where the stones fell. You see, for it to be a harbinger, it has to be built in the very place where the bricks had fallen. They cleared out the rubble. And we are building the Freedom Tower in its place. Is the tower in and of itself a bad thing? No, it's not. But if behind it we are saying in and of ourselves we will rebuild bigger and stronger and we refuse to return to God, therein lies the problem. We're building it bigger and stronger. The Freedom Tower is slated to be the tallest building on the earth. And we're building it so strong that it is literally built that a plane couldn't take it down. Number five, the Gazette stone. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. This is the Hebrew Gazette stone. Hewn stone means quarried or cut stone. So here's what the people of Israel did. Their bricks had fallen. They were clearly not strong enough. So they went to the mountain and they cut out huge stones 
They quarried them out of the rock, huge rectangular stones, and they carried them back to the very place where they would rebuild, and they built upon these stones. They placed them there, and and they said, we will rebuild with hewn stones. So for this to be a harbinger for America, uh, we have to have gone and gotten a hewn, hewn stone or a quarried stone and brought it back to the very ground zero and placed it there. So the question is, did that happen? I want to show you a picture here. That is a hewn stone taken from the mountains, I believe in New York, that they went and quarried and they dropped it right down on ground zero where the Freedom Tower is being built. And we had a ceremony around it with leaders of New York City and we said, we will rebuild. They call it the Freedom Stone. The Freedom Stone. We will rebuild with hewn stone. You know, what's amazing is they would eventually remove it from ground zero. So that leads me to the question, if you were going to remove it, why did you bring it there in the first place? And if I wonder if the answer is simply that they had to in order to fulfill biblical prophecy. We stood around it, we made vows, and again, uh, it's not that Having a stone that, that represents and symbolizes our freedom is bad. It's just simply that we're, or, or, or if we're not humbling ourselves before God, but de- endeavoring to build bigger and better and faster, this is a dangerous place to be, both for a nation and, and an individual. Uh, you see, God isn't behind the prideful. In fact, pride comes before the fall. That leads us to number six, the sycamore. Back to Isaiah 9 and 10. The sycamores are cut down. When the Assyrians came in, they ravaged everything. I told you they tore down their buildings and burned the place, and they were just a pile of rubble. But what they also did was they tore down uh, and they ravaged the land. Here's what he says. Our sycamores are cut down. In the Bible, the cutting down of sycamores is a sign of biblical judgment. The, The people of Israel should have known this, but they missed it. So as we look at 9-11, we look at a, at a city, New York City, that's been called a concrete jungle. It's not a place of agriculture. It's not out in the middle of a, a Midwest farm somewhere. Uh, if you get outside of Central Park, there are just not that many trees, especially sycamores. However, on the corner of ground zero, there was one tree. Do I need to tell you what kind of tree it was? A sycamore tree. And when the North Tower fell, remember, it had to be cut down. When the North Tower fell, as you see right here, the North Tower collapses and it shoots out a a wall of debris. That wall of debris hits this sycamore tree and knocks it over and uproots it. You'll see here some pictures of the roots. This is the roots that remained. You can see this is a large tree. This is not just a small tree. This is a tree that's been here for a long time. And yet, it was knocked down and uprooted. This is the root system that remains. It was on display for quite some time. Um, But then they they removed it and they built this piece of art in its place out of some of the, uh, the other remaining roots there. This tree has been called the sycamore of ground zero. You can research it. The sycamore of ground zero. I wonder if this is a biblical symbol of judgment for America. Harbinger number seven. 
the Erez tree. The, cedar, the sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. The Hebrew traces back to the Erez here. It's a conifer tree. Uh, it's an evergreen. It's a very strong, durable tree. It's higher and taller and straighter. It is a better tree. It lasts longer, uh, and it's, it's much more difficult to deal with. So, so here's what the people of Israel said. They said, you cut down our sycamores. Yeah, you could do that. But you can't handle, what are you going to do with our cedars when we build those, when we, build, when we replace them with a res trees? So, so here's what they did. In the very spot where the sycamores were cut down, they took out the roots and they planted in their place cedars or a res trees. So did this happen at ground zero? In November 2003, you'll see a picture here of a crane lowering down a tree into the exact same spot where the sycamore stood. The exact same place. They call it the tree of hope. This one right here. It is a biblical arez tree. It is a conifer. It is all those things that the Bible declares it has to be. Yet another harbinger. In our attempts to bring hope, are we defying God in the face of his warning? And there it now stands. Do we memorialize our defiance with a, with a positive middle attitude? We've got a tree of hope. But our hope is in ourselves and not in God. Are we trying to be positive but not looking to him? Are we looking uh, to ourselves? Uh, so we put up cedars and we say to the world and consequently to God, try knocking these over. You got my cedar, but try knocking these over. What we have to understand is that we are fighting a spiritual battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of this age and rulers of darkness. You see, you have to understand that we're fighting a spiritual battle and, and, and a cedar tree can't help you and money can't help you and a better national defense can't help you. The only thing that can help us is prayer. It's a spiritual battle. That leads me to the eighth harbinger that we're going to cover today. And that is the vow itself. I want to read it to you again. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. This vow. The leaders of Israel stood in Samaria, their capital city. And they stood and they declared this vow. Notice he said in verse 7, in, in pride. This is, this is a defiant vow. They may not have realized it. They may not have known it. But this was a vow of defiance. You, you, you tore down our walls. You tore down our buildings. But we'll, be, we'll rebuild with stronger materials. You tore down our tree. But we're going to build it with a strong, we're going to replace it with a stronger tree. They stood and they declared this. Their leaders declaring the heart of the nation. I want to show you a video that brought this whole thing together for me. I'm going to show you the video that, con that was uh, from the joint session of Congress on the day after 9-11, where the Senate Majority Leader stood up to speak to our nation as a leader, calling our nation together. I want to show you the words that he spoke in his attempts to offer hope, the words that he spoke. The world should know that the members of both parties in both houses 
stand united in this. The full resources of our government will be brought to bear in aiding the search and rescue and in hunting down those responsible and those who may have aided or harbored them. Nothing, nothing can replace the losses of those that have suffered. I know that there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. That is what we will do. We will rebuild and we will recover. The people of America will stand strong together because the people of America have always stood together. And those of us privileged to serve this great nation will stand with you. God bless the people of America. I yield the floor. In his efforts to inspire hope and comfort to a nation, and I believe the, sen the senator was sincere in everything that he was saying and doing. He could have chosen from any number of biblical references to offer us hope and comfort, but he chose one specific reference. He chose Isaiah 9 and 10. The version he read to you is, I believe, the King James Version. He thought he was saying a good thing. I don't know who wrote that speech for him. But they had no clue what they were doing. They had no idea that we were literally fulfilling biblical prophecy as our leaders stood and vowed. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And here's what he said. And that is what we will do. Eye-opening. He didn't mean it. He, he would have never wanted to make a vow of defiance against God in a moment like that. And yet, he did. He did. We've turned from God in our defiance. Our churches were filled on that next Sunday morning, but the week later they were emptied again. We have been pompous towards God. He promised to punish Israel, and He did, because to whom much is given, much is required. America has been given much, and of America, much is being required. We must return to God. We must return to prayer, to the Bible, to its values, to its commands, to its principles. We must stop killing of the innocent and protect life from conception to the very last breath. We must put our hope in God and not ourselves. And we must pray a prayer, not like Isaiah chapter 9, but by Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people 
who are called by my name. Help me, guys. I want everybody to read it with me. We'll humble ourselves. This is the opposite of the defiance and the pride that he declared in verse 9 and 10. With pride and an arrogance of heart. No, no, no. But with, with an humble heart. Will we humble ourselves and not rebuild stronger and better and bigger in and of our own selves? But will we pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways? Then God will hear from heaven and will forgive our sin. And then and only then will he heal our land. We must turn to God. We must return to Him. We must return. This message today is a message to the spiritual and the moral culture of this nation. When you really begin to study this, You see leaders and politicians from both sides of the aisle declaring parts of this prophecy because it's not a political thing, it's a spiritual thing. We need a spiritual solution. America must humble herself before God. Fall on our knees. Lift up our hands and our hearts and say, Father, forgive us. We want to return to you. I don't know if I've challenged you today, but for me, it's driven me to my knees. God, touch America. You see, I don't want to pray, God, bless America, until I've prayed, God, let us return to you. I don't have a right to ask for the blessings until we return to him. Would you stand with me today? I want to pray with you. I want to pray for our country. For a nation that has turned from God. Is he speaking to us? Is he crying out? Is he shouting it from the rooftops? Begging us to be reconciled and restored to him. And are we yet turning away and continuing to go away from the principles of the word of God? If you would, would you join with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today not asking for your blessings to be upon this nation, but asking that a wave of repentance, a wave of humility come across this nation, beginning with the people of God. Father, we want to do our part. You said, if my people would humble themselves and pray. So Father, today we, as the people of God, are humbling ourselves to you today. We don't want to rebuild stronger and bigger and better in and of our own selves. But, Father, we want to put our trust in you. We want to turn our hearts back towards you. We want to return to you today, O God. We're believing in you. We're putting our hope and our faith and our trust in you today, O God. We're returning to the covenant that we have with you, that, that, that you want to bless us and you want to open up the windows of heaven over us. But, Father, we must live for you. We must follow you. We must keep your commandments, Father. Return our hearts to you. Lord, I pray that a a revival would break out across this nation that would turn people back to you. Forgive us, O God. Forgiveness for in our ignorance how we have turned from you, how we have not seen the signs. Forgive us, Lord. 
let us come back to you. Thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. As an individual, what about you? Are you holding angers against God? Have you been hurt? Felt like God didn't protect you? Like he didn't come through for you when you needed him? You've been bitter and frustrated. So you've built back stronger and higher on your own. You've built back walls to protect yourself from others and from God. You say, I won't get hurt by God or anyone else again. I'll do it myself. I refuse to rely on him. I'll rely upon myself. I'll do it myself. He didn't come through when I needed him. It's time to return to him. It's not about whether or not you go to church. It's about have you built walls to keep yourself from relying too much on God so that you couldn't be hurt again. It's time to return to him and humble yourself before him. He resists the the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I believe there that God wants to bestow grace upon us today. He wants to be involved in your life again. You remember that God's heart is not to judge, but his heart is to restore and to reconcile. You have a covenant with him and he wants to bless you. But as Jesus said, same place we begin, to whom much is given, much is required. Pastor Chris is going to lead us in worship for just a few moments. And what I want to do today is I want to open these altars for a couple of things just for a, a, a private time of prayer maybe you want to kneel maybe you want to come and just stand and worship and spend some time with God first of all crying out for our nation and secondly uh, if, if you're one of those people that I've talked about and you've built up walls and there's pride in your heart and, and, and there's pride in your life you've not humbled yourself before God but you've built walls to keep Him out you don't need to rely on Him I'm a man's man I can do it myself You've been hurt. He let you down. You felt like he didn't come through for you when you needed him the most. Because of that, we've turned away from God. Maybe not fully, but in your heart, you know the truth. If you want to spend a few moments with God, just praying, talking with God, these altars are going to be open. We're going to kneel. We're going to worship. Pastor Chris is going to lead us. We're going to be dismissed quietly from there. Whatever point you want to slip out, you may. If you just want to stay in your seat. uh, In the first service, people were in their seats uh, kneeling and worshiping or just sitting and praying. Whatever you want to be. We're going to have a quiet time, of uh, uh, a moment with God. I I bless you today and all that you do. Be blessed as you go. But let's come to God and let's cry out to Him.